Welcome to Troll Black TV's weekly podcast where we feature the world's most extreme athletes. This week, I'm proud to introduce Hans Florian, one of the world's most extreme big wall speed climbers. Hans, along with his good buddy, Alex Hunnell, currently own the speed record for climbing the nose in a mind-blowing time of 2 hours, 23 minutes, and 46 seconds. No doubt this record will someday be broken, but as you will hear quite shortly, this won't be achieved very easily, especially considering Hans has climbed the nose a hundred times. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Hans Florian, or Halloween Hans as some prefer to call him, the author of On the Nose, a lifelong obsession with Yosemite's most iconic climb. Hans, welcome to our show. Hey, Dan. Hey, Hans. How you doing, man? Busy, um, in a good way, just trying to be honest. Um, <laughs> lots of stuff to keep running, man. Oh, man. You know, thank you so much for doing this. I know that you're uh, on the run, literally, just promoting your book, and you're uh, doing a speaking uh, tour as well, aren't you? I'm always speaking, but uh, yeah, I've done 33 book presentations in the last two and a half months, so... Holy shit. Yeah. So I can talk. I can talk. I know how to talk. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one question I've always wanted to ask you, where did the Hollywood Hans come in? When did you get that nickname? Well, I was a production manager, uh, and I was living in Culver City, which is the movie production capital of the world, when the first... So a little profile came out on me in Rock and Ice. But, I mean, the thing was I was a production manager at a manufacturing facility, not in the movies. But I, I just had long blonde hair and happened to live in Culver City. So, I said, <laughs> oh, Hans. Yeah, I was always wondering about that because I thought, you know, was that when he was competing in the X Games? Because you, you dominated the X Games for, what, five years or more? Pretty much. I mean, it won the first three years, and then they raised the prize money so large that the Eastern Bloc guys started coming over, and then they crushed because they could. They were basically focusing only on speed because it paid their you know life wages just to do win one. So you almost feel bad beating them, you know. <laughs> you know, um, anyone who's been on the nose is. You know, knows how difficult it is to climb it. Never mind race up it in uh, two hours and twenty-three minutes and forty-six seconds, like you did with Alex Hunnell. It's just—it's still mind-boggling that you guys were able to do that. Well, I joke. uh, I joke that I'm not strong enough to hang on it much longer than that. So. (laughs) I know that we want to talk about your book because that is a big deal. A hundred times that you've been up the nose. Holy shit, Batman! I mean, uh, that's a lot of times. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I joke misspent youth, right? But um, like Jamie Moya is my co-author, and she, you know, I think best answered it, saying the book is a answer to the question, why would somebody do that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the nose of El Cap is the Everest of long rock climbing, right? Um, yeah, no doubt. Most people would, 
if you're a mountaineer, you might do Everest once or try Everest once. The same thing goes with the nose. Um, but it's in my backyard, and it's so accessible for me. And it's opened so many doors in my life for things. I mean, I would win a World Cup in Lyon, France on a Friday or a Saturday, and then on Tuesday or Thursday, people would run into me at the crag, you know, the the who's who of climbing maybe, but it might just be some climber I don't know that I was at the comp congratulating me on the speed record, you know, at some little crag in northern Italy, and I'd be saying, well, you know, I only beat the guy by a second, or this, that, the other, and they'd go, no, no, I'm talking about you setting the speed record on the nose, you know, and I'm like, wow, that happened, you know, four or five years ago, and here they're on the other side of the planet telling me that's the coolest thing ever, and it kind of hit home with me that, you know, worldwide, it's like the number one rock climbing route in the world that everybody kind of wants to go do someday once, you know. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, when you drive through the tunnel, that's the first thing you see. It's like, wham, you're just looking at it, it's going, holy shit. Uh, I mean, it's nearly double the size of most skyscrapers, I mean, even in New York. And so it's it's big. Yeah. When I go on tour, I, I often will put a building in El Cap Meadow to show how big it is. But I've started, like, superimposing El Cap on the skyline of whatever city I'm visiting. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness. You know, you put the Burj Khalifa, the tower in the Dubai Tower there. It's and full it's, towers. It's El Cap, you know. So <laughs> it's crazy. So how many times do you do it before you really start thinking about setting a speed record on it? Well, for me, um, my first time I failed, I bailed at pitch four. And my second time I took three days. And then the next year I did it with Steve Schneider. And he kind of opened my mind that like, wow, you can climb this in eight hours. And that's what we did. It happened at the time to be the speed record was eight hours. And... Um, I never would have climbed El Cap again if it wasn't for Steve showing me you could climb it that quick, top out and have, you know, maybe 10 or 15 pounds of gear on your back each and walk off casually. Um, I was, you know... Were you competing in the X Games at that time as well? No, that was 1990 I did that with Steve. So that was five years before the first X Games. So how did the X Games uh, influence you uh, in the future? I don't think the X Games influenced my Yosemite climbing because it was just something so separate. In the 90s, although I did a good bit of trad Yosemite climbing, my focus was running around to Europe and rifle and all the new sport climbing crags that were popping up and um, running the American Sport Climbers Federation, which is now called USA Climbing or U.S. Climbing. You know, it's the governing body for competition. So my focus was a traveling sport climber, but I would just make a pilgrimage, if you will, once or twice or three times a year to Yosemite and bang out three or four walls because I just kind of loved it. But, you know, any training-minded person would say, that's backwards, that's not any good for your sport climbing to go big wall climbing. When you think about, you know, I've had so many people, and we've had this conversation about you and Alex when you set your record and there's so many questions people have. It's like, how much of that is actually free climbing and how much of that is actually grabbing and pulling? Those are uh, great 
climb, you know, climber audience questions that um, occur, and I, I'd say for me, I don't, I don't ever like if I feel something's middle five eleven, I don't bother free climbing it. I just pull on a piece of gear or a quick draw or whatever, and I French free it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe for Alex, it's if it feels harder than five twelve, he just pulls on gear, but. Because um, I just need the race in my strength for 3,000 feet, so I can't bother with it. And it's a, it's an interesting ego calculation. Is like, because people need to let go. Like, I don't care if somebody's looking at me with a telescope. I don't care if I'm climbing next to somebody in a crag that they see me pulling on a piece of gear. It's just I know that I can climb this 511D or C or even 12A. But I don't need to prove it right now. I just need to go as fast as I can and do it for two hour and a half hours, you know. Um, so I know I've made mistakes along the route. Even climbing with Steve, I probably tried real hard to climb five ten sections of the you know of the crack system back in 1990, and that's why it took us eight hours because I didn't let go of the concept like just plug the number three Camelot in and pull on it, you know. So. There's a lot of those things we learned over the decades of trying. Is like you don't show off. You just get through terrain, terrain as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. Pull on, pull on Fuchs gear. Um, you know, use your legs as much as you can. If you're not moving up, then hang on your harness. You know, mm-hmm. stuff. Are you guys when you guys are simul climbing right at the same time? Uh huh. Yeah. So uh, like. How many pieces would be in between you? Would there ever be any time where there was no gear in between? Never when I'm doing it, no. <laughs> and we make, you know, you make rules and then you break the rules sometimes. But, like, I, I kind of have a rule that I want three good pieces between mm-hmm. the person at least. And, and, you know, never less than that. Um and I've, I've stopped. I mean, I tell the... It's not so much a joke, but it just was when I simul-climbed with Peter Croft, he, he got up like 60 feet above me in the stove legs, and there was a piece right in front of me, but nothing for 60 feet. And I yelled up to Peter like, hey, uh, you got to put something in or I can't start going, you know, or just kind of reminded him that he wasn't soloing sort of thing. Mm-hmm. He, you know, humbly and appropriately put in a piece because he... Knew that was practice. Uh, did you have the same uh, issues with Alex? Well, I I required Alex to let me lead the first half, so uh, <laughs> I I got to decide how often Pro went in. Although you know I could uh, presumably look down and see like, gosh, he's kind of close to me, and now there's only two pieces between us. But he was um, appropriately spaced so that you know it was safe for both of us. And yeah. of course I. I tend to place more gear than him. I remember reading an article about uh, how he shows up and he's questioning how much gear you're taking and uh, something about the number two and the number three cam and telling you, well, turn your hand one way, well, that's the number two, and turn your fist this way, and it's number three. And you... <laughs> right, you're pretty... in with the protection. Why do you need to bring that stuff around? <laughs> Oh, that's that's good. It's one of those things where he's totally correct that the top 100 feet of the stove legs is 
three and four inch, and both him and I have free climbed that section before, um, even rapidly without cams, but um, it just takes less strength to do a cam, a fist jam, a cam, a fist jam, a cam, fist jam. Um, and I'll say that, you know, the strategy we ended up doing was I led the first half of the route, and that was the only section that he jugged was that 510D off width. And he doesn't need to jug it, right? He's totally capable of free soloing harder than that. But it saved energy not only for him to just kind of go into this automaton jug thing for 100 feet, but it meant I could yank up all the slack and be on my way on, you know, actually down climbing terrain and then 5'9 hand crack without Mm -hmm. him worrying about the spacing of the rope at all on the back end, which is, you know, something you need to take care of when you're on the back end simulclimbing is adjusting the length of the rope and the gree and stuff. So, now, would you guys be carrying water with you or food or anything like that? For that ascent, um, I bought a bike bottle worth of water, so a half a liter, is that what that is, I think? Mm-hmm. Something around there. And, you know, we're fully hydrated at the beginning, so we're probably, you know, I say it in words, we're carrying water in our stomachs, but, you know, very hydrated. Yeah, because still uh, two hours and 23 minutes. That That's, you know, you guys are basically sprinting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the exact same time for a record marathon, right? And marathon runners will grab a Dixie cup of water, you know, maybe two or three times during a race. I'm not for sure what they do, but... Mm-hmm. They, you know, the marathon runners don't have to carry the weight with them, so it's exactly kind of a fun calculation. You know, how much should we bring, and how much will help us or hurt us? The the Uber brothers, when I asked them what they brought, they said we bring one cup of orange juice just to wet the mouth. That was it. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) that's them. That is hardcore, man. But so, that's maybe all you need. If you're fueled properly at the beginning of that race, you know, two and a half hours isn't that long. But I, we also took a power gel um, that I had halfway up the route. That was our fuel for the whole two hours and 23 minutes. Well, did you ever, you know, while you're doing that, did you ever have any scary moments where you thought that, uh, you know, you fucked up and someone could get really hurt? You know, never with Alex, um, nor Yuji so much. I mean, I've never taken a big fall, simul climbing, speed climbing on the nose. And to, you know, just think about Yuli Steck falling 90 feet when him and Alex were trying for the record is terrifying to me because it sounds like they did it on the lower angle terrain near El Cap Tower. And, like, there's ledges there, obviously, that you can hit. So, yeah, no kidding. Um, I'm not perfect, for sure, but uh, when we're moving fast, I say this a lot in slideshows and stuff that I give, is that we're averaging 21 feet a minute, which is not very far in a minute. It's like watching paint dry to watch someone cover 21 feet and taking a whole minute to do it. <laughs> so you're moving pretty precisely, pretty carefully. You're just doing it for two hours and 23 minutes straight, you know, mm-hmm. and you need to, sometimes I, me and Alex were 30, 40, 
probably not more than 40 feet above a piece, and certainly that would have been not a good time to fall. But generally the only time I'm doing that is when I'm on 5.5 five or 5.7 terrain or something, or 5.8 maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe but not often. Did you um, strategize in the sense of um, knowing what kind of a pace you had to keep in order to break the record? Well, I'm a total numbers lover, so I had my watch on, and I was, I knew, you know, one-third way mark, the tenth way mark, the halfway mark, all those things, you know, and it's only halfway mark relative to what we had done on our practice runs. So, um, one, you know, mantra that I've told Alex that is true in all world records of the mile and all that is that you want to have negative splits which means the last two laps you run on the mile should be faster than the first two laps you run. Mm-hmm. So you you don't want to start out fast. You want to start off slow and then go, 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 as they say. Weren't you into track at one time? Yeah, I'm a pole vaulter, um, although pole I've vaulter. done a few of the running races as well now and again when someone else pulls up and they need a slower guy to do relays. So what are you doing now? Now I am managing Diablo Rock Gym. I go around and speak a good bit to conventions and businesses and corporations and then uh, manage being somehow a a dad and a husband. That's a chore in itself, isn't it? Yeah. Being a good dad. Way harder than climbing and, you know, more rewarding too. Yeah, no kidding. At least you know when you're doing your when you're doing your lectures, um, what's your theme? Well, we're lucky in climbing that there's this you know get to the top sort of thing. It, mine is more how to do it quickly and how to enjoy the journey. Um, speed is speed is a super useful t- thing in business and in life and doing it and not reducing quality of a service or product is important and what could be more important than safety climbing, right? And how do you go fast and remain safe at the same time? So there's a lot of metaphors you can use in business that way. Um, and how would you, you see know, it uh, applying for most businesses? Well, from a, like a manufacturing of widgets, if you increase the line speed on the assembly line, it doesn't automatically equate to less quality in your widget as mm-hmm. proof by, you know, hey, I went faster and faster on the nose and we didn't become more and more unsafe or less safe. Um, and it's like the ultimate quality control. You're dead if you mess up on climbing, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in business, if you mess up on quality, you might lose customers and then have to rethink how you do things. But it's the ultimate penalty if you don't, keep your quality up climbing, you die, right? Exactly. And and to keep our quality up and just keep increasing speed um, without a a loss in the service, quality of the service. And, and, you know, the journey, that's attributed to Yosemite. Like I always point out when you top out in Yosemite or El Cap, you're not standing on a peak looking down on the rest of creation. All you've done is crawled out of a ditch, (laughs) <laughs> so, if you don't enjoy the journey, you know, up this wall, 
don't look for like some sort of special insight at the top because you're you're just climbed out of a ditch. You haven't reached some high summit place or something. So it's the in the doing that's got to be fun, you know, solving all these line flow problems in a manufacturing thing or who knows what, the funness in your life of being a family guy or gal or housewife or house guy. Got to find joy in just speeding up and being having more fun in the doing, right? Exactly. And I joke, I'm not the M word, the mountaineer person who is psyched back in the saloon or the bar, glad not to be up there in the snow cave suffering. They're glad when the event's over. I think, you know, I'm a t-shirt and shorts rock climber where the it's more fun actually doing it than talking about the suffering later, you know. <laughs> That's that uh, outdoor research made up for my 100 ascents where they say, you know, how many cups of coffee, how many swag bags, how many haul bags, how many days on the route. And one of them is uh, how many bales. And I, I failed to climb it 11 times in the first 111 attempts. That's why I only did it 100 times. But Wow. That's important to me that you can arrive at the base and you don't know if you're going to make it to the top. Yeah, there that aren't any guarantees. Yeah, that makes it more challenging, more fun, more rewarding that I've actually failed. You know, I've gotten up a third the way and bailed, a half the way the bailed, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes due to the weather, too hot, sometimes because it's too cold, sometimes my partners and I weren't physically ready for it, whatever it might have been. You know, that's just a, like a metaphor of life, though, too. You know, that, and that's why I think your book um, is going to reach so many different people and speak to them. And why, when you do your speaking engagements, you're going to be able to really inspire a lot of people, man. I really think so. Well, Great thanks. message. Sometimes I, you know, I tell people I have inspired somebody to go join Greenpeace or join Doctors Without <laughs> Borders, but. Sometimes I've just inspired people to take a 10-month sabbatical and go climbing, you know, which may not seem so purposeful to some, but you get these folks that feel it's changed their life. They come back to work rejuvenated because they found they can go do these cool, incredible things, and it gives them energy in their regular, quote-unquote, regular life, I guess. Yep. I mean, when I have to get up at 5 in the morning to go do some business thing or whatever it might be, work at the gym or whatever, it's like, this is nothing. <laughs> I get up at 4 a.m. to go tackle El Cap all the time, you know, or whatever. It's, don't even get all mad when your alarm goes off at 3 a.m. Just go deal and do it. It's no big deal. You know? Yep, go deal. Exactly. I would have been really negligent not to ask you about the rivalry that you had with Dean Potter and Sean Leary when they had taken the record from you. And uh, I was just wanting to talk about that a little bit, uh, what that was like for you. Uh, Dean had sat on my porch in Yosemite West and had beers with me and other people and shared stories. Dean and I have rigged on the same uh, commercial shoot and been on them. And I bought drinks for him and Timmy I found out what his favorite drink was, some sort of iced tea, if I can remember correctly. I went down to the store and bought it for him, brought some drinks to celebrate them getting a record in El Cap Meadow. <laughs> right? Um, and they knew that I was celebrating with them and asking them how they did it because they figured that I was going to try to go and beat it. Which, of course. 
<laughs> but that was my open whatever conversation and relationship with them. And uh, we just probably crossed our lips at one time or another to go climbing together, but our schedule system did work. And then one, two, three media outlets, you know, most notably Sports Illustrated, said that we were arch rivals and they got the bad words out of him about me. And in a two-hour interview with that woman, I told her an hour and 55 minutes, I told her I like being awesome, totally inspired. She's a great climber. And she squeaked five minutes out of me where I might have said one or two bad things. She used that. But it's a better story, right, that we're arch rivals. Exactly. I remember reading about that. That's why I was, I was like, I have to ask you about that. Yeah, I even, um, that woman, when me and Gigi wrote the and Sean record the next year, uh, or me and, yeah, me and Gigi broke their record the next year, um, she came and wanted to get an interview to put in the Force Illustrated, and I said, well, is there somebody else to write it? Because you didn't write it at all what I said, and so they didn't run a piece. Um, so I gave up press because I so was unhappy with how she portrayed in the relationship. I don't blame you a bit. I don't blame you a bit. And I know how that happens, man, because uh, it just didn't... When I remember reading about it, I'm like, you know, this doesn't seem like climbers that I know. It's um, not that... Yeah, uh, I, I, it just didn't seem like... say anything and, about him to me is we are probably too similar, and that's why, it, mm-hmm. you know, he, he probably felt as if I was the Hollywood haunt that was, you know, commercialization of climbing or something or whatever, you know, that was so anti his sort of spiritual love for nature, rock, and all that stuff. Um, and I say stuff maybe a little bit, whatever, but, um, you know, he loved attention. And who doesn't? So he did things to get attention. And I don't fault him for that at all. One bit. Did you ever think about teaming up with him and going for the record together? I did think about it, um, but I think, like I said, too many articles hit, and, and he was just, I think, it was just too huge a gap to say, you know, although Carmen was constant, you know, maybe mm-hmm. the picture that I thought he was bad, he thought I was bad, so, or just not like him or something, whatever it might be. So, I would have said yes in a heartbeat to go climb. Super psyched that he and Sean got the record. I mean, that just gave me something to go aim for. And I, uh, I'm super clear that just trying to get the record back is super fun. I didn't just get it back. Mm-hmm. You must have been devastated, though, when both of them ended up getting killed. I, uh, I don't know. I didn't hear what they thought about it. Yeah. You know, they're, they're wow. obviously exceptional climbers, and uh, it was his focus only to do speed. So, you know, it's amazing that those guys did it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's amazing, you know, coming out of the Uber brothers, I love that they got it. Those guys are in a foreign country, and, you know, surely, yes, they put a lot of time in on the Zodiac and other granite walls, but. They put so much commitment, like, you know, filming a movie on it and everything, and to not get the record on the nose when they were filming was harsh, and they were so proud that 
they came back the next year and got it off the record or off belt, you know. So cool. That is cool. That's cool. I, what I really like is when I look at the history of this to see how it kept going back and forth. You know, it wasn't like they were shaving off you know, like 20 minutes. It was like shaving off what, what 20 seconds at times. Sometimes that's what it was. Like the Uber Brothers only beat the record by 30 seconds, and they felt that was good enough, so they went back three days later and took three minutes off, you know. And when Dean and Cindy, not Dean, Cindy, Dean and Sean broke the record by 20 seconds, I had heard kind of roughly through the grapevine that I thought they were going to go up and try to take, you know, a few minutes off of it, but. That they didn't get that record until late in the fall, so weather came in before they could go at it again. Mm-hmm. And then, do you think it? Do you think it's possible? I, I know this is like really far out there, but it, do you think someone will come along and break the two-hour barrier? I think so. Yes, uh, I got the time with the Brad Gobright uh, this October first. And me, him, and Miranda did the route in seven and a half hours, each leading a two and a half hour block. It's pretty casual for him. Uh, I know he's done it with Jeff Reynolds in under three hours or right at three hours. Yeah, he's super qualified to do it. Mm-hmm. Do you think anyone will ever come along and now free solo it? I, you know, I never thought Adam Andra would have the success that he did. I, I never would have guessed that. And you know, I don't think he's the old guy that's like super impressed by like these young kids, but like I just thought you could master Yosemite climbing that quickly. So I'm totally crazy impressed with what Adam Andre did. And, uh, yeah, I think the whole world is. We're just like going, holy so when that, shit. And that blew my sense of so much to say now that like no one will ever solo. You mean free solo the nose, right? Um, I don't I don't think yeah, that's, that's solo the nose. Not in the condition it's currently in. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean I mean people think that it would never happen that someone would pin star out the great roof or the changing corners more so, so the fingers would be more solid but you never know what someone might do it's, Sure, people would be aghast, but it could happen. I just, I've tried those moves. Me and Eugene freeze the whole route except for the great group and change the corners. And those moves are so insecure on such tiny things that the free solo, it would be a factor of like 10 times harder than what the 12C that Alex free soloed on half though, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And yeah. I, Alex said the same thing about that. I was just curious what your opinion on that was. Because yeah. you did it so many times. You know, I think it would be well within the realm of reason to do it with a super long daily chain um, and aid those two seconds of free solo the rest and get the solo speed record very fast. But you know, some people probably wouldn't really care <laughs> about mm-hmm. that being done or not. I don't know. I would. I think it's cool. But well, right on, and a good reference point about people breaking the record is that um, the Spelunkers come twice a year, and their record is 48 minutes to jug that 1,000 meters, a rope right next to the nose. So 
physically movement, someone can go up that terrain in 48 minutes, right? Although a Whoa. Just, 48 yeah. minutes from the bottom to the top? Yeah. They're using, you know, stirrups, uh, ascenders on their ankles, and a chest uh, ascender. So they're using a ton of their legs, right? But the aerobic effort and stuff can be done in 48 minutes. And so you got to figure climbing-wise would be a little different and harder, but certainly the possible to go faster than two hours and 23 minutes. Yeah, no kidding. It makes it so that uh, the two-hour barrier is feasible. Yep. <laughs> Some young cat's going to come along with this, hearing this interview and just going, I want to be that guy or gal. <laughs> one, one thing that I think is interesting is that, like, no... Like in sport climbing, it might be a 17 or 18-year-old that breaks the 5-15 barrier or 16. But on that speed record, it'll never be broken by a teenager because you can't get good at Yosemite climbing without being old enough to drive there. Um, <laughs> and so you've got to look at somebody that's got a few years of that sort of climbing experience <laughs> in after they've turned 16, right? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so it's going to be somebody in their 20s or 30s that does it, I think. Pro- probably. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, one last question. I know you got limited time here. What um, would you like to share with the Total Black Community? What words of inspiration would you like to share? I think my thing here is uh, do hard things. I like uh, Alex Honnold saying of Go Big. I, I say do hard things because that makes uh, makes the end result way hard, way more rewarding for you. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Hey, well, thank you so much, Hans. I really appreciate your time, and I wish you all the best of luck. I hope I see you at the cliff, Dan. You got it, man. Take care of yourself, Hans. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Man, I tell you, Hans, you really knocked it out of the park with this, and I hope that uh, all those people that are listening to this go out and buy his book. Um, Definitely a worthy, worthy read, especially if you're thinking about climbing the nose. You know, and if you're going to climb the nose, really listen to this interview over and over again because there's a number of tips that he has given you that I really think that could enhance your abilities to not only get up the nose, but do it in a timely fashion that is quite impressive. Do it in a day. That's a major feat for pretty much anyone on the planet. If you can get it under eight hours, dude, you're fucking rocking. I mean, seriously. But if you're going to be climbing with a partner, it's really important to stick to some of the rules that he has come up with. One of the rules that really stuck with me is if you're going to be simul climbing, that is both you and your partner are climbing at exactly the same time, really make sure, and this is a rule that Hans really sticks by and has probably why he's still alive to talk about today and still can do it. Make sure you get three pieces, three solid pieces between you and your partner at all times. Don't allow yourself to become a statistic that's listed in the American Alpine Club's yearly book of accidents and fatalities. Learn to live the fight another day. Because as Hans just shared with us, He bailed on the nose 11 times before he hit that magical milestone number of 100 ascents. That's absolutely mind-blowing when you really think about it. 100 ascents. And finally, I'd like to leave you with his last words from Hans when he said, Do hard things. 
It makes the end result that much rewarding. And I couldn't agree more. Find out what that hard thing is in your life and go for it. And pour your 100% of your energy into it until you finally achieve it. And it'll be so much more richly rewarding than it would have been had it been easy. Pick hard things. Until next week, my friends, this is Dan Goodwin with Triple Black TV, your entertainment source for extreme sports.